Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast, where we are dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. This is your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and as promised, I will be featuring an original story narration along with an old-time radio show. Now, this won't be on every episode, maybe one or two a month, but as I stated before, I want to make Terra Radio a very unique experience, whether it be featuring old-time radio shows or original radio scripts or original stories. Now, the original story tonight may be a bit sketchy, but bear with me. Still new to this. I'm a one-man show, but I'm still growing because of all of you. And I can guarantee you in a few weeks, the narrations will sound much more professional. So without further ado, this is Terra Radio. Again, the two stories featured tonight are The Perfect Daughter, followed by an episode of The Weird Circle. The Perfect Daughter was sent to me a few months ago by literally Anonymous, but I fell in love with the story, and I'm sure you will enjoy the surprise ending. Now, Weird Circle, a quick history. This was a syndicated mystery slash horror series that ran on NBC. It debuted on July 8th in 1943 and supposedly it ended in 1945 but then I read other history books about this and it said it ended in 1947. So let's just say it began in 1943 and ended before 1950. The series consisted of adaptations of classic horror stories from the likes of Edgar Allan Poe, Emily Bronte, Charles Dickens, etc. The radio play featured tonight is entitled The Middle Toe of the Right Foot and it was first broadcasted on May 21st in 1944. One thing both of these stories have in common is the theme of revenge. So remember that. So, you know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to The Perfect Daughter, followed by The Middle Toe of the Right Foot. Those who knew Patricia consider her to be somewhat difficult. Hell, They thought she was a, ooh, dare I say it? They thought she was a bitch, a loudmouth, cantankerous, overbearing she-devil who spat out obscenities and insults like some fire-breathing dragon. For more than 30 years, she accomplished alienating almost every person she came into contact with, neighbors, co-workers, acquaintances, even family members were subjected to her rants and vicious taunts. Married to an extremely patient, if not spineless man, Patricia's husband 
passed away a few days before their 25th anniversary. <laughs> Some joked that after years of being a doormat, he finally grew a backbone and killed himself just a spider. She had three daughters who miraculously grew into good-natured, kind-hearted young women, despite being raised by that bellowing troublemaker. One by one, each girl discovered a way to escape their mother's home, and once they left, they seldom returned to visit. I say she had three children, but in actuality, she had another child, a daughter from her first marriage. No one, including Patricia, ever spoke about the girl or even acknowledged her existence. She was like a forbidden joke you weren't supposed to say out loud or a monstrous urban legend such as Bloody Mary or Candyman whose name you never let slip from your lips for fear of death. Supposedly, when she was barely 14 years old, she ran away, never to be heard from again. There were no questions, no accusations, nothing. She was just gone. With the death of her husband and the absence of her girls, Patricia, feeling somewhat isolated and alone, which many felt was of her own doing, began taking in rumors for extra income. Why anyone would willingly live under that woman's roof was beyond comprehension. But most of her renters consisted of students or transients who were low on cash and in desperate need of a cheap place to reside. One of her t- residents was a quiet and unassuming man named Brandon. No one knew much about his background or prior whereabouts. He just appeared on Patricia's doorstep one day inquiring about a room to rent. To everyone's surprise, he and the dragon lady became almost inseparable. Brandon wasn't intimidated or easily insulted by her offhanded and sometimes hostile comments, which caused many, including several tenants, to retreat. As the months progressed and the other rumors began to vacate, Patricia began to rely heavily on Brandon. Frequently, he was spotted running an array of errands for her, whether it was picking up a prescription or gathering groceries for her at the local market. He became indispensable to her, a true confidant. One particular evening, as they prepared for dinner, Patricia, (laughs) feeling uncharacteristically gracious, thanked Brandon for all he had done for her. It's nothing, he nonchalantly replied. Oh, yes, it is. Patricia retorted adamantly. My own flesh and blood don't even come around to see how I'm doing. You're the only one who seems to give a damn. That's not true, Patricia. The hell it ain't. Those ungrateful little brats of mine could care less if I was alive or dead. Brandon didn't respond and let her prattle on. I mean, I know I ain't the easiest woman to love, but I'm no devil. I just wish... Her voice trailed off, and Brandon was surprised to see tears welling up in her eyes. What were you going to say? He asked softly. Quickly wiping away the tears, Patricia snapped. I just got some regrets, that's all. 
like everybody else. Brandon was intrigued. He picked up the bottle of that cheap wine Patricia loved to gulp down every night and filled both of their glasses to the rim. After taking a quick sip and trying not to grimace, he questioned, What do you regret? Patricia was silent for a few minutes, but after guzzling down most of her wine, she heavily sighed and suddenly blurted out, Andrea. What? Andrea. My eldest daughter. I don't talk about her much. Brandon said nothing. I couldn't stand her father. Lazy, no good son of a... Ugh. We were married for five years, and each day I hated him more and more. He took off a year after Andrea was born. She went on to talk about her resentment of being straddled down with a child she never really wanted and how she took her frustrations out on her daughter. Don't get me wrong. I love my baby girl. I just... I just didn't like her at times. I realized now I wasn't ready to be a mother. Well, what did she do to make you dislike her? A lot of things. She was a strange child, never spoke much, and would always stare at you like she knew some deep, dark secret but wouldn't tell. She poured herself another glass of wine and continued. Maybe because she was a spinning image of her daddy that I felt, I just... Again, her voice faltered. You what? I wanted to change her, make her more like me. She was always such a tomboy and it drove me crazy. Even as a little girl, she never wanted to wear the pretty dresses I bought for her. Those damn things weren't cheap. She'd rather run around in a t-shirt and jeans. She never seemed to appreciate how much I worked to give her nice things. Patricia's voice began to slightly rise with a hint of bitterness. Brandon was enthralled and eagerly waited for her to resume telling the story. I guess I was hard on her more so than my other girls, but it was just me and her. I had no support. That sorry ex-husband of mine wasn't helping at all, so everything fell on me and I was tired. Besides, sometimes you have to beat respect into a child. So, you were abusive towards Andrea? No. I mean, maybe. I just wanted her to listen to mind what I said. Another sip of wine. She was so doggone stubborn. She would fight me tooth and nail whenever I tried to dress her up like a little lady. She was so pretty in her dresses, and I would always love to brush her beautiful hair. She was my, she was my little angel. <laughs> Brandon was amused at witnessing such contradictions. An unwanted child was still considered to be a little angel by the parent who at times loathed her. The absurdity was almost laughable. Perhaps the twisted stories that swarmed around this woman weren't just idle gossip. Maybe she was a bit unhinged. As Patricia reminisced, if you will, about the past, she was completely oblivious to the change in Brandon's demeanor. It was as if he had been saturated 
in a shroud of darkness. An intense anger, which lay dormant in the pit of his stomach for years, was beginning to erupt and slither its way through his entire body, causing every muscle to ignite with fury. He sat motionless and continued to listen. Somewhat buzzed from almost consuming an entire bottle of wine, Patricia dissolved, divulged more of her dirty little secrets. There was one time when I really lost it. I'm not proud of what I did. What happened? She told a story how she arrived home after working all day to find Andrea tearing apart her dresses and stuffing them into a large garbage bag. What are you doing? Patricia screamed at the top of her lungs. I ain't wearing these. Andrea calmly replied. Seized by an uncontrollable rage, Patricia pounced on her daughter and began to repeatedly strike her in the face. The child never muttered a sound. Even as her mother dragged her by the hair into her bedroom, she remained silent. This is what happens to ungrateful little girls, Patricia hissed as she grabbed a pair of scissors. In a matter of minutes, Andrea's closet was utterly bare, and her clothes were strewn about the floor, torn and tattered. What can only be defined as a heinous act, Patricia described how she forcibly stripped Andrea down to her undergarments and made her stand outside in the cold. Brandon sucked his teeth in shock and disgust. She stood on that porch shaking like a leaf for over an hour. Patricia's voice strained with embarrassment, but she never made a sound. No tears, no screaming, nothing. Brandon's smirk reappeared. Everything changed after that night. She barely said a word to me unless I spoke to her first. It was like living with a stranger. A few months later, she ran off. Didn't you try to find her? Of course I did. I went to the police and filled out all of the paperwork, but they basically blew it off as just another runaway and figured she'd come back. But she never did. Not that I wanted her to. Starting over was easier without having her around. Patricia looked directly at Brandon. You probably think I'm a horrible person. Brandon flashed her a sympathetic smile. Not at all. We've all done things in our past we're not proud of. Patricia nodded in agreement. When was the last time you saw her? Oof. Almost 25 years ago. She'd be about 39 now. Maybe even 40. And I wouldn't even know who she was if I saw her. Pretty sad, don't you think? A mother not being able to recognize her own child. But what can you do? <laughs> she chuckled. Feigning understanding and empathy, Brandon found it incomprehensible that the mother could seem so cavalier about her missing child. You got quiet all of a sudden, Patricia observed. What's on your mind? It's my 40th birthday, Brandon said matter-of-factly. Patricia quickly rose to her feet. What? Why didn't you say anything? 
It's no big deal. I stopped celebrating my birthday years ago. Why? I have my reasons. Though Patricia wanted to pry, something in his tone caused her to stop. As she, as she returned to her seat, she accidentally knocked over the bottle of wine. Red droplets stained the front of her blouse. Look at what you did, Brandon scolded. It's fine, nothing a cup of bleach can't fix. Without provocation, he slapped her. Dazed and confused, Patricia caressed her cheek and yelled, what the hell was that for? She was answered with another blow, which knocked her out of her seat. Blood began to slowly trickle from her lip. Why? She whimpered. As Brandon towered over the terrified woman, memories of a horrific childhood bashed into his psyche like a sledgehammer. He saw images of a frightened little boy, a captive in his own home, enduring the taunts and insults from a mother who, in her own sadistic and delusional state, attempted to transform him into the perfect daughter. She emotionally battered him with unflattering comparisons to his absentee father. She seemed to relish, if not take a perverse delight in punishing him for attributes which were out of his control. The way he spoke, his facial features, his sex, her intense hatred for his father bordered on obsession, which in turn annihilated her son's sanity. Brandon's eyes began to bleak uncontrollably as he again could feel the sting of the winter chill blit bristling against his nearly naked body that night he stood on the porch in below zero weather. His body quivered under the weight of recollections of being forced to parade around in ill-fitting party dresses and garish colored hair ribbons. His toy box never consisted of action figures, building sets, BB guns, or water pistols. Instead, his mother bombarded him with Barbie dolls, teddy bears, makeup kits, anything to undermine his masculinity, and any attempt of reluctance or protestation resulted in a brutal beating. It's not that you didn't want a child, Patricia. You just didn't want a boy. Patricia's eyes widened with fear as she came face to face with the sins of her past. Before she could respond, Brandon landed a ferocious kick directly to her ribs, causing her to howl out in excruciating pain. When he kicked her again, she blacked out. When Patricia finally awakened, she found herself tied to a chair, which was placed in front of the vanity mirror in her bedroom. She could hear noises coming from behind her. She stared into the mirror and could see in her reflection, Brandon ripping her clothes to shreds with a long butcher knife. <laughs> this is what happens when you're ungrateful, he taunted. Patricia struggled to free herself, but her attempts were futile. She was strapped securely in her chair and could not move. Beads of sweat moistened her brow as she watched Brandon walk towards her, grinning from ear to ear. As he stood next to her, still holding onto the knife, he reached for the hairbrush, lying on the dressing table. Now, let's make you really pretty, he snickered. Patricia screamed. 
a weird circle. In this cave by the restless sea, we are met to call from out of the past stories, strange and weird. Bellkeeper, toll the bell so that all may know we are gathered again in the weird circle. Once again, it's Weird Circle time at the Ogden's Playhouse. Tonight, we are to hear an adaptation of the Ambrose Beer story, Middle Toe of the Right Foot. To the mystery story fan, tonight's presentation promises keen listening pleasure. To the smoker who rolls his own cigarettes, Ogden's fine cut promises smooth smoking pleasure. It's a promise that comes true with every cigarette rolled with Ogden's. That's why we call attention to our standing invitation to try Ogden's when in need of a cigarette tobacco. You'll find Ogden's easy to roll, delightful to smoke. Yes, easy to roll, delightful to smoke. And now the Ambrose Beer story, The Middle Toe of the Right Foot. claim it tomorrow. Mm, Gertrude Manton's brother's been notified. That house has been empty now for ten years. Do you think Manton will show up? I wish he would. Manton killed his wife and children there. Well, what happened to this fellow Manton? I don't know. Never found a trace of him yet. And you a deputy sheriff? Better shine up your badge and get busy. Well, I'll find the murderer someday. Somehow. Well, no wonder the ghosts live there. <laughs> it gives me the creeps. Now, look, even the trees are all leaning to windward, trying to get away. Come on, let's drive on. All right. Come on. Yeah, Ross will be waiting at the hotel. We'd better get along. <coughs> Why don't you look where you're going? Why, I'm sorry. I was only... Now get out of my way. Some people are the clumsiest. Clack. Uh, good day, sir. I want a room. Yes, sir. Gladly. Will you sign the register? Front. 
Uh, you will have room 212, Mr. Um, uh, Mr. Grossmith. Oh, uh, Mr. Grossmith, I uh, I think we've met, sir. What? A uh, bumping acquaintance in the screen door just now. Well, uh... Allow me to introduce myself. Ross, sir, editor of the Marshall Advocate. Glad to welcome you to our city. Are, um, are you here on business? If I am, it's my own business. My mistake, stranger. What a horned toad. Ross, sir, here we are. Hello, King. Oh, uh, you must be Mr. Sanchez. Yes, sir. How do you do, sir? Welcome to Marshall. Uh, it's good of you to meet us here, Mr. Rosser. We county politicians like the deputy here and myself can't get along without you great men of the press. <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> Come on over here and sit down. That's right. Now, um, you want to talk about the Manton House first or the uh, corner? Oh, wait a minute. First, let's order something long and cold, uh, huh? <laughs> the Manton place will take care of itself. It's a good idea. That was a hot drive. Well, now, about this candidate for coroner, Russell. I can't see, King, why a man can't be a good coroner just because he's got a cast in his eye. Well, you know, Russell, I, I have a theory that any physical defect goes with some mental or moral defect. <laughs> just can't help myself. I hate and always hated any kind of deformity in a man or in a woman. I infer, then, Mr. King, that a lady lacking the advantage of a nose would find it a hard struggle to become Mrs. Thomas King. <laughs> <laughs> well, put it that way if you want, but seriously... I once nearly married a most charming girl who... Well, I, I was a kid lawyer studying at Harriston. Each time I came home here, I rushed over to the Brewers. I think I was really in love with Gertrude Brewer. She was lovely. Then, one summer afternoon, we were in the orchard. Her young brother was helping us gather fruit. Oh, Tom, it's such fun to have you home. Even if for only these short visits. How's everything? Oh, just fine and dandy. Oh, I have so much to tell you. They, they made me deputy sheriff. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can't I see you alone this evening? Let's let's walk down by the river. Oh, I'd love to, Tom. Yes. What is it, Ned? Here comes Manton. He's tying up his team down by the gate. Oh, Gertrude, I, I can't stand that man. Why do you let him come here? Why, he's very amusing, Tom, and very nice. He's uh, very prosperous, but I agree with Tom, sis. He's a queer duck. Got queer ways. Well, Ned, what, what do you mean? Well, uh, I went after Partridge with him and... He uses the craziest contraption. Yeah? How's that? He's uh, taken a long, straight branch, stripped it, and on the end, he's fastened a loop of wire that's sharp as a razor blade. A razor blade? Yeah. He sneaks up on a bird, then gets the loop over its head, and gives a quick jerk. And presto, bird's dead. Throat cut. Mm. Oh, Ned. Why does he do that? Well, uh, there's no shot to scare other birds. Well, that's true, and a good idea if you want slaughter instead of sport. And when he's doing it, Tom... His eyes look so queer. Oh, Ned, here he comes. But I'll see you alone tonight, won't I, Gertrude, dear? Yes, Tom, of course. Afternoon, Miss Gertrude. Hello, Mr. Madden. <laughs> Just thought I'd stop by to see the prettiest peach in the county. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello, Ned, my boy. Howdy, Mr. Manton. Why, Mr. Manton, look. Your hands are stained. Oh. Oh, well, I'm sorry, Miss Gertrude. I've been doing a pretty job of butchering. Finest calves you ever saw. Oh. Um... Uh, this is our friend, Tom King. He's been made deputy sheriff. Oh, good old law and order. <laughs> well, howdy. Don't you ever take your cattle to market on the hoof? I'll prefer it my way. Besides, it makes for tenderer, whiter veal. <laughs> well, young woman, you look mighty near perfect today. Mighty near? I think Gertrude looks perfect always. Well said, <laughs> young sheriff. I guess, by and large, that everyone will agree that Miss Brewer here is an absolutely perfect specimen. Oh. No flaws, no faults. Now stop it, both of you. <laughs> well, as her brother, I'll say she's easy on the eyes, 
But a perfect specimen? Ha ha. No, she oh, isn't. Oh, Ned, behave. Ned, what what are you talking about? Yeah, you tell him, sis. Oh, the boy's crazy. Uh, what's he driving at? Oh, well, it's all so silly. I don't know why Ned mentioned it. But the fact is, if you must know, I have only four toes on my right foot. No middle toe. What? Cut off by accident? No, I was born that way. Oh, a branded filly, eh? <laughs> well, you'll never stray from your owner, will you? Gertrude, I... I never knew that. Why, it's of no importance, Tom. I never think of it. Ah, it's cool here under the trees. Uh, uh, mind if I sit on the bench? Oh, not at all, Mr. Manton. Here, I'll make room. Uh, uh, take my chair, Manton. I, I'll be running along. Oh, Tom, already? Yes, I, I've got some business in town. Important, really. You, you'll excuse me, Gertrude. So long, Ned. Forgetting me, eh? No. Goodbye, Mr. Manton. Oh, see you tonight, Tom. Goodbye for a little while. Well, gentlemen, I didn't go back that night, and that goodbye was not for a little while, but for a long time. Do you mean a defect in the young woman's foot made such a difference to you, King? Yes. It's a curious obsession on my part, but I know that if I'd married that girl, I should have been miserable and would have made her so. And if the girl cared for you... She we... couldn't have cared too much for King. For she soon married a gentleman with more normal views. You mean Manton. I get it. That horrible house we passed today. But uh, you said Manton killed his wife. Yes, he did. Hey, wait a minute. Well, who's that coming out of the door? It's familiar looking. Oh, but it couldn't be. His name's, um, Grossmith. Grossmith, huh? Yeah. A cheerful bounder if I ever met one. Nearly knocked me down when he arrived this afternoon. Hmm. Bit my ear off when I tried to speak to him. Well, no interview? No interview. What a nerve. He's sitting down right near us. Well, uh, I'm interested in this story of King's. Uh, tell me more about the Manton case, King. <coughs> uh, your friend seems to be choking. Let him choke. Go on, King. Well, there's not much more to tell. I spent several years in the county seat before I came back here. The next time I saw Gertrude Manton was one day ten years ago. I was in my office when I heard a knock on the door. Come in. Tom, it's I, Gertrude Brewer, uh, Gertrude Manton. Gertrude! Oh, it's good to see you again. Why, you look... Don't try to be polite. I look old and tired and scared. And I am. Well, what is it? Here, sit down and tell me. Tell me how I can help you. Will you help? Ned's away and I'm in such trouble. Well, I've heard gossip that things aren't going so well at the farm. They're not. It's awful. There are no more cattle. No more cattle? Well, have a same why. My husband's killed them all. He cut their throat. Oh. It's just sort of a passion with him. There were no more calves, so he killed our bull. Mm. And he started on the cows. Our lovely, gentle cows. Every so often, my husband's eyes get a strange, glassy look in them. He whets his slaughtering knife and sort of fingers it with an awful smile on his lips. Mm. Tommy's crazy. He ought to be put away, but what must I do? Oh, now, now, Gertrude, dear, of course I'll help you. Take it easy. Now, don't cry. I won't, but Tommy, he cut the throat of our last cow yesterday. I'm so frightened. It's having a terrible effect on the children. Now, now, see here, everything will come out all right. Please stop crying. I'm going to get Dr. Carter, and we'll drive out first thing in the morning. You will? Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. I won't be afraid anymore. Thank you, Tom. Well, see you tomorrow morning, then. Goodbye. It's good of you, Dr. Carter, to drive out here. 
Miss Merton's an old friend of mine. Yeah, she's a fine woman, Tom. Oh, but that husband. Yeah. Doc, I want you to look him over. There's there's something very wrong. Oh, no, oh. 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 Lovely sunshine. <laughs> a lovely day out. What a gloomy place this is. Hello, Gertrude. Gertrude! She doesn't answer. Well, let's ring or knock or something. I'll try the bell. Well, look here, Tom. The door's open. Hmm. Yeah, go on in. Gertrude! Where are you? Well, this house has the emptiest feeling. Are you sure she knew we were coming? Well, we arranged it only yesterday. Oh, she must be here. Well, there's no one in this room. Hmm. Oh, let's go upstairs. That's better. Come on. on the stairs. This, this thing, it's, it's sticky. Hmm. That's blood. Dripping from, hurry Tom, hurry up here. Good Lord. Little boy lying by the banister. Oh, his throat is cut. Gertrude, Gertrude, where the devil is she? Stop, try the bedroom door. Tom, in here. It's Mrs. Manton, lying across the body of a little girl. Both their throats slit from ear to ear. As tonight's Weird Circle tale unfolds, Many of you will note a familiar ring to the style of plot structure used by the master storyteller Ambrose Bierce, the incisive, racy style of the modern writer. Written before the First Great War, the middle toe of the right foot still carries the modern touch. In short, the works of good writers live on through the years. It's the same with Ogden's fine-cut tobacco. A long time back, when Ogden's first came into prominence as the top choice of roll-your-own cigarette fans, smokers were talking about and praising Ogden's. Today, just as then, Ogden's remains the popular choice of Canadian roll-your-own cigarette smokers, a fact that can be attributed only to unvarying excellence right down through the years. Try Ogden's for real smoking enjoyment. You'll agree Ogden's is easy to roll, delightful to smoke. Yes, easy to roll, delightful to smoke. And now back to our story. Sheriff Tom King, years ago, had been attracted to Gertrude Brewer, but ended his courtship when he learned that she lacked a middle toe on her right foot. She soon married the well-to-do but eccentric Robert Manton. This marriage ended in tragedy, for several years later the town was horror-stricken to learn that Manton, in a frenzy, had cut the throats of his wife and of their two children. Manton escaped. The house has been empty for ten years. the story of the Manton murders, and a morning I'll never forget. Well, I don't wonder. It's a horrible story. Tom, you may be interested to know that this Grossmith, or whatever his name is, sitting near us here, has been glaring at you and taking in every word you said. Why the impudence? What, what do you think we ought to do about it? That's easy. Sir, I think it would, would be better if you'd remove yourself to the other end of the veranda. You are evidently not used to the company of gentlemen. I'll not be spoken to that way. Why, you ill-bred lout. You've listened to every word we've been saying. Now, easy, Rossi. You're a bit hasty and unjust. 
This gentleman's done nothing to deserve such language. I'll not take back a word. This man has been annoying me all day. Hold that tongue up yours, sir, and I'll cut it out. You will, will you? It's the custom of the country to demand satisfaction for an unwarranted blow. I now demand it of you. I'll give it gladly. I have no acquaintance in this place. Uh, perhaps you, sir, will be kind enough to represent me in this matter. You mean me? Well, I... I don't especially like your manner or your manners, but I suppose I shall have the consent. My name is Sancher. Yours is Grossmith, I believe. Yes. Thank you, Mr. Sancher. And you, King, will act for me, of course. What's the matter? What are you staring at? He's looking at me, and I find it most objectionable. Why do you look at me like that, Mr. King? I find you very interesting, sir. You're giving me an idea. Oh, I've had quite enough of this. Get on with the arrangements, Mr. Sancher. Very well, sir. I'll toss a coin. As challenger, Mr. Grossmith has first call. If he wins, he may choose either the weapons to be used or the spot where the affair is to take place. Right. Satisfactory, gentlemen. Toss the coin. Here goes. What do you say, Grossmith? Heads. Heads it is. Then I've got my choice of weapons. Yes. What do you want, guns? Certainly not. Knives. Boy knives, and I insist that it be a duel in the dark with knives. Knives? I thought so. You, uh, you like knives, don't you, Mr. Uh, Grossman? Now hold it, Tom. It's up to Rosser to say where this duel is to be. Well, I, uh... I'll speak for you, Rosser. As your second, it is my privilege to make the arrangements. All right with me, King. Well, then, gentlemen, meet me here in... in three hours. Right. It'll be dark then, and I shall drive you to the place I have chosen for this strange encounter. Mr. Sancher, I depend on you to buy the longest knives you can find in this town. I'll be here at nine o'clock... But for now, I've had enough of you gentlemen's company. Look here, Tom. What the devil have I got myself into? A duel. A duel with knives. And, just as he says, in the dark. But I didn't bargain to get ourselves into a mess like this. You realize that we have the choice of place, don't you? Well, don't worry. Nothing's going to happen to you, Rosser. Well, as second to this fellow Grossmith, I must ask you, King, what's your plan? Is it some sort of practical joke? Not exactly a joke, Sancher. Well, uh, where is this place you have in mind? A rather appropriate spot. Remember the haunted house I showed you today? You mean where the Manton murders were? Exactly. It will be the most perfect setting. And now, if you and Rosser will only help me carry out my plan tonight when we get to that Manton house, this is what will happen. Oh, what? All right, here we are. Come on. Get out, Grossmith. This is the place. What are you waiting for? I haven't. This is a trick. Well, of course, Mr. Grossmith, if you're afraid of spooks... Why? I'm afraid of nothing. I'm coming. The uh, choice of place for this duel was ours, Mr. Grossmith, and we have chosen this house. Go in, please. Dark as Hades. Well, here, wait a minute. I got a candle. I'll light it. There. That's better. Now, here's the room. The dust is a foot thick. Here, these infernal cobwebs. They're like rotting cheesecloth. Come, gentlemen, I'll hold the candle high so you can look into the room. It is large and square, as you see. No fireplace, no furniture. Only this door and two windows, which are boarded up. It will be utterly dark. 
Mr. Sanger, is everything all right? I, uh, I think the gentlemen should remove their hats, coats, and vests. All right, but I don't see the sense to it. Shall we leave them here in the passage? Yes. Very well. And now, gentlemen, here are the knives. They are exactly alike. You may examine them by the candlelight, and while you do so, I shall search you, Mr. Rosser. Nothing. Now, let me hold the candle, King, while you search my principal. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm satisfied. Well, Sancher, I think we're ready. If it is agreeable to you, Mr. Grossmith, will you place yourself in that corner, the one farthest from this doorway? I can't see a thing. Feel your way along the wall. And now, Rosser, you here in this corner nearest the door. Right. Now, gentlemen, you are both in position. Remember, you are not to start fighting or move until you hear the closing of the outer door. I shall now blow out the candle. There. There is the darkness you asked for, Grossmith. We leave you now. Good luck, Rosser. Goodbye, Mr. Grossmith. Are you with us, Rosser? Right behind you. Then here goes the outer door. All right, Rosser. Come out of that corner. My knife is waiting for you. My knife. I love a knife. I'll carve you up, you blackguard. Well, why don't you say something? Rosser. Where are you? Come out of that corner. Very well, I'll get you. Are you sniveling fool? Are you afraid? Oh, a corner. But I'm getting nearer to you, Rosser. Why don't you move? The door. Now. There's no one here. Rosser, where are you? I'll get you. for me so early in the morning. Oh, hello, Sanchez. Hello. Did he get you here, too? Yes, he did. Well, Tom, what is it you want? Boys, that hoax we framed up last night doesn't look so good this morning. How do you mean? It's got me in a spot. You see, there's something about that fellow Grossmith I didn't tell you in Sancher. I drove right back to the house after I left you boys last night, and though I called and yelled at him, there wasn't a sound. He wasn't there. And he didn't come back to the hotel. Well, what do you care? I never want to see the fellow again. But I've got to find him. Well, I never should have let him get away. Just what do you mean by that, Tom? Well, I mean just this. When Grossmith challenged you, I thought I recognized him. Yeah. That fellow isn't Grossmith at all. Huh? He really is... Hello, Tom. I guess I'm early. Ned Brewer. Well, I... 
I didn't expect you here this early. Well, I got tired waiting for you and the county commissioner. I'm glad to see you again, Ned. Uh, you know Sam Roster, the advocate? Of course. How do you do? Welcome back, Ned. And this is the commissioner, Mr. Sancher. Uh, glad to meet you, sir. How do you do? I'm Gertrude Manton's brother. Uh, I guess so. Well, Mr. Brewer, the county will be glad to give over the custody of the farm, and since you're here, we might as well drive right out there and get the business over with. What do you say, Tom? Sure. I'd like it mighty well if Rosser here came along as a as a witness. Well, why not? Of course. Make a good feature story for my paper. But I bet it will bring back powerful, unpleasant memories to you, Brewer, to see that Manton place again. I wish I didn't have to come out here. This place drives me crazy. Such ghastly recollections. I can't ever forget that day. No, nor can I, Ned. It was stark horror. Unbelievable. Poor Gertrude. What happens now, Mr. Sancher? Well, we wait here till noon. It's nearly that now. Good. And then, if no other claimant puts in an appearance, the state law says I hand the custody of the place over to you as the rightful heir. I don't know what I'll do with the place. I certainly never want to see it again. Now, let's go inside. The door's unlocked. Well, there's nothing here for anyone to take anyway. Gloomy, isn't it? What a ghostly effect, that light filtering down from the upstairs windows. I remember this room to the right here. I thought so. It's empty. Wait. Come here, quick. Huh? What? What is it? What's in that far corner? I think it's a man. Uh, it must be Grossman. Hey, you. Hey. Tom, wait. This man's dead. Stone dead. Why, he can't be. Rosser, kick out some of those boards so we can get some light in here. Right. I'll help you, Rosser. All right. He's been dead for some time. He's rigid. There's his knife on the floor. But well, there's no blood on it. Look at his hands. Palms out and those claw-like fingers shielding his face. There's not a mark on him. See if you can help me lower his arms. Certainly. There. Look at those wild, staring eyes and that half-open mouth. Can you figure out why he died, Tom? This man died of sheer terror. Don't you agree, Ned? What? Why, Ned, what's the matter? By heaven, Tom. It's Manton. Look, you saw him once at our place, didn't you? Yes, but he wore a beard then and long hair. But you're right. This is Manton. Manton? Goldsmith was Manton? Tom, Brewer, do you see what I think I see in the thick dust? Where? What? There on the floor. Maybe from the door straight across the room to within a yard of Manton's body. Footprints. Bare feet. Three parallel lines of them. This is awful. A woman's footprints in the center and... On either side, the marks of children's feet. Look at that. This nearest print of the woman's foot. The middle toe is missing. The middle toe of the right foot. Gertrude. My sister Gertrude. Tonight's presentation brings to a close the present series of Weird Circle Stories at the Ogden's Playhouse. For the past 39 weeks, we've brought you the great mystery classics by the world's master storytellers with the thought that in the entertainment offered you would find enjoyment. 
If the presentation of this Weird Circle series has attained that objective, Ogden's feels that the purpose of the series has been met. Till we meet again, then, here's a reminder. Try Ogden's Fine Cut Tobacco. You'll find Ogden's easy to roll, delightful to smoke. Yes, easy to roll, delightful to smoke. If you smoke a pipe, try Ogden's Cut Plug. It's a smooth, mellow pipe tobacco. Once again, next time, for another immortal tale in The Weird Circle. That's our show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror1970. Or you can look me up on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd or Twitter at Radio Show Nerd 1. Again, this is your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, signing off. <laughs>